When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Yo, technology, what is it all about? I think if you scratch the name off the top of a, a paper, if you will, and put it in front of a business school class, it is the most perfect industry to disrupt, mm. but because it's the funeral industry, people don't to do it. And it's not necessarily unwarranted. Like it is a, it is a taxing industry. It's emotionally taxing. So it's overlooked for understandable reasons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech this week. We're going to break up AI month a little bit with a little bit of fun, something different. And then next week, we'll return to the AI theme with another brilliant guest to talk about the race for AI supremacy, what it means for war, and in particular, our relationship to and competition against China. So stay tuned for that. That's a really good one. But this week, let's talk about death. Let's talk about composting. Let's talk about death and composting. Let's talk about human composting. You heard that right on the program. We have a repeat guest, the one and only funeral entrepreneur we have ever had on Danny in the Valley, and he is Tom Harry's, you may recall, we had Tom on back in a couple years ago to talk about his last startup, Tulip, Tulip Cremation, which was an app-based, no-frills cremation service that he sold. Uh, well, he's back with his new company, and it's called Earth, and a new service, which he has termed soil transformation, but really, I like human composting better, personally. It's just me. Anyhow... I think what he is up to is just totally fascinating because really, do you want to get buried? Do you fancy being incinerated instead at many hundreds or thousands of degrees? Why not just let your body get eaten up by its microbes, turned basically into compost, and then used to plant a tree? I don't know. That seems totally sensible to me. And of course, Tom would agree. So I'm very happy to have him on to talk about his new company, how he started it, why he started it, and explain why he thinks this composting thing will be an actually, you know, a thing, especially as climate change becomes more and more pressing and, you know, younger generations are much more conscious about all the choices they make 
in this life and then of course at the end of life so i think you'll really enjoy this one trust me uh but i'm gonna stop talking now and get to the interview with tom harry's founder of earth not obviously he didn't found earth didn't find the planet composting you get what i mean anyway here he is welcome back thanks very much you first appeared here in december 2019 which is wild is it that long do you get many people who come back yeah yeah and listeners seem to really like it because you know you someone comes on you hear this amazing story about what they're doing and then you never hear from them again so sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't people want to hear like you know the kind of the end of the story or at least the next chapter of the story yeah, um, great. I mean, I've had a busy two and a half, three years, so uh, lots, lots to talk about. Indeed. And you've got the full Silicon Valley look. You've got a, a fleece with the Earth logo, and then you've got a hat that says EBITDA on it. So that's just fantastic. Yeah, um, it's very SF. I know it's incredibly cold here. I'm in San Francisco at the moment, and uh, there's a bit of a cold snap. Indeed. Well, look, so December 2019 was Tulip or post-Tulip. So let's go back what that was and then talk about what you're doing now and then we'll kind of fill in the intervening years. Last time we spoke, December 19, Tulip had just been acquired. Tulip was selling direct-to-consumer cremation. We were the digital layer between consumers, so people who had recently lost loved ones who were planning for the future, and the infrastructure. So third parties that perform the actual cremation. Yeah. Uh, that company was acquired by a private equity roll-up who owned the infrastructure. So the company vertically integrated overnight and the economics of the business were pretty transformed overnight as well. So yeah, that had just happened. And then I left Tulip about three, four months after we had that conversation. And what is Earth? I mean, that's, you know, you know, you understand my question. <laughs> Earth is one of the planets in the uh, solar system, Danny. Yeah, Earth is actually funeral company number three for me. I love it. I love that this is like your niche. Not many people should say that either. No. But yeah, funeral company number three. And uh, we have a similar approach in many ways as Tulip, which is creating a better experience. But the major difference is we're working with a completely new process. Cremation, obviously, very established. People know what that is. Um, whereas with Earth, we are pioneering a new process really i think that's that's the right word for it and this process is called soil transformation soil transformation yeah colloquially referred to as human composting gotcha. um, we don't love that phrasing but um it's got a lot of press under that name why don't you like human composting as a term i think it undersells what's actually quite a nice process mm. um i think human composting is used for the shock factor maybe um, but actually, we are transforming your body into soil. It's a really nice poetic process. It's gentle, it's natural, it's carbon neutral. The end product people are keeping, they're scattering, they're planting stuff that's meaningful to them with it. And we're also using a lot of this soil for land restoration benefits. So I think composting just gives it a bit of an ick factor, whereas actually it's a very respectful process with a really nice valuable output. Yeah, because I think composting conjures the image of like the kind of gross bucket in your kitchen full of decaying food. Exactly. Yes, which we are keen to uh, move away from. Understandable. Understandable. <laughs> For obvious reason. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you start the company and how does the process work? Like how do you actually turn the human body into 
into soil? And that feels like that could be a very simple answer or a very complicated one. I don't know. Okay, so two parts to that question. Started the company in 2020. Initially, it was pure R&D. This is not commercially available equipment. It's not like you can go out and buy this equipment like you can a cremation resource, if you will. Yeah. So we developed the science from scratch. We developed the hardware in which the process takes place from scratch. Um, So it's been a lot of science and engineering, really, Mm. to uh, get this off the ground. In terms of how the process works, then uh, the science behind this is composting. Composting is a purely natural process. It's balancing carbon, it's balancing nitrogen, and then it's optimizing moisture, temperature, and oxygen levels. And what that's doing is creating microbial conditions. And not just microbial conditions, but the perfect microbial conditions. To break down organic stuff. Yeah, to break down organic matter. The actual regulatory or legal name for what we're doing is natural organic reduction, Okay. Um, which is a bit of a mouthful, but I think does what it says in the tin, in that, that it's a natural process to reduce organic matter. Mm. And the output is this very nutrient-rich uh, soil amendment. And uh, as I say, this soil is getting used for conservation, so reforestation, wildfire restoration, restoring damaged or challenged ecosystems generally. But yeah, it's a completely natural process. No chemicals, no bugs, nothing um, unpleasant. So if we go back to 2020 and you're like, okay, I've just done this cremation business, sold that. What am I going to do with my life next? I'm going to figure out how to turn humans into soil. And then you start an R&D process. But like, how do you find the R&D folks? I mean, because I imagine the idea of human composting, I know we're not using that, but like kind of turning people into soil or being able to like, you know, plant a loved one or use plant something in a loved one's remains. To me personally, that feels quite appealing because it feels like it's productive. It's reproductive. Yes. So we describe it as regenerative death care. It's doing something good with the output from the process. In many ways, this is a way to return the goodness or nutrients in our bodies to nature yeah. versus blasting them out of a chimney post incineration. Right. I mean, the context for what we're doing then, I think backing out a little bit before we go into the R&D side, is that existing funeral practice is not sustainable. You've got burial, which is in the UK, at least the less common funeral process at this point, I think it's 75% cremation. And these are older stats as well. So yeah, the, yeah. I'm talking like five plus years ago and COVID changed a lot of stuff in the funeral mm. industry. Um, cremation is a much more practical way of doing mass funerals, I guess, than something like burial. Mm. So I don't know how that changed in the UK, but it certainly drove the cremation rate even higher in the US and drove a lot of ritualization change as well. So there's actually an article in the BBC this week about the rise in direct cremation and how that's about 20% of the industry now. Direct cremation? Yeah, so direct cremation, there's no service, there's no viewing. It's take a body to a crematorium, cremate that body, and then return the ashes to the family. And there's no service beforehand. There's no viewing. And families have memorial services afterwards. They have celebration of life services afterwards. But the argument is that it's much simpler. It's much more cost-effective. And you do something that's much more personalized to the individual versus being in a sort of rundown council crematorium or something. Right, 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 right. That's about 20% of the UK industry wow. now, which again, was not a thing. Which would be like me going down to my local crematorium and being like, here's Steve. 
Yes. I mean, you're not doing the delivery yourself. Um, you'd probably get arrested if you just turn up with a, a body like that. But uh, yeah, don't try that. Um, but no, so so context, um, burial, um, it's going out of trend. Right. It's, just, it's just been on a downward slope for a long time. I presume that must be a Western thing. You know, certain kind of cultures, I, I imagine knowing nothing still very much value burial or their own rituals, whatever they may be. I think it depends. I mean, if you look at the mass of people, you've got some very large countries like India, which are pretty yeah. uh, cremation oriented. You've got places like Hong Kong and Japan that are 100% cremation. So it mm. is quite nuanced around the world. I think Europe is pretty quite high cremation rate. North America is pretty high cremation right. rate. I right. know in the Muslim world and in Judaism, that's burial. And that's pretty quick burial. Yeah. And that's burial without all the fanfare we have in the West. So US burial is probably the most uh, extravagant, yeah. if that's the right word. Sort of concrete lined slots you're placed into, heavy metal coffins, a lot of embalming, that sort of thing. And therein lies the problem with burial. You're just putting all sorts of harmful pollutants into the ground. And it's also thoroughly impractical in the context of how many deaths there just are going to be. You can't just keep putting people into the ground because we don't have the land. So actually places like the US, you really see this play out. So places like San Francisco, places like Seattle, mm -hmm. you can't open new cemeteries because it's not deemed a worthy enough use of land. Really? Like if I was like a, um, oh, see, I could be, I could become your competitor and be like, I'm going to be the cemetery guy. You wouldn't be able to open a new one in San Francisco, Seattle. And that has led to very high prices, mm. which has led to cremation becoming more and more popular because people are getting priced out of burial. So just like rents in San Francisco. Exactly. Like, I mean, it kind of is the same. It's, it's monetizing a land use, yeah. I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's just not a great use of land in a high density urban setting. Right. So yeah, burial has gone out of trend. It's not practical. Cremation has been the pre-existing alternative. So that has naturally gone up as a result. But cremation is so overtly pollutive. I mean, it's a fossil fuel driven process. You're burning natural gas mm. and it's an incinerative process. You see plumes of smoke leaving the sort of chimneys of, of crematoria. And each cremation produces CO2 equivalent to a 600 mile car journey. Right. The crux of the matter, I think, for people is whether you like it or not, your final act on Earth is going to be one of pollution. And that is quite jarring for people already. And I think will just become more and more jarring over time because we are so aware of our carbon footprint mm. and our sustainability credentials in every other walk of life. So I think this only becomes more and more relevant. So this is an incredibly convoluted way to answer your question. But yeah, that's the context. <laughs> no, but I do think, especially when you think about climate and the younger generations, you know, if you ask your average, whatever, 18 year old or 22 year old, how you want to be disposed of, and you lay out those two alternatives, it seems very clear that I would guess, you know, seven or eight or nine out of times out of 10, be like, well, just, you know, turn me into soil. Cool. Especially if I'm not creating a plume of smoke. That seems pretty obvious. But I think what's really interesting, but important about this is one reason people buy this is the sustainability side of things. The other reason is it's a nicer process and it returns you to nature. Mm. And I think that's really important in the context of sustainable products and services. People don't just buy because it's better for the environment. Maybe the most ardent environmentalists do. Yeah. For environmental products and services to be mainstream, they have to be quicker, better, cheaper, nicer in some way versus just purely better for the environment. 
And I think that's a massive box that we are ticking is this is conceptually nicer than cremation too. Right. So it's a sort of double win. So 2020, you're like, this is my idea. I don't know how to do it. I need to find some smart scientists or whomever. So how did that process go and how does the process actually work? So um, we started by understanding the soil science. There are a few people out there who have a pretty good grasp of, of the science behind this. A lot of composting as a science happens at a municipal level, mm. so very large industrial scale stuff, which never gets that dialed in, in terms of the right moisture content, in terms of the right aeration, in terms of the right temperatures, that sort of thing. You can't control that as precisely as we needed to. And then the other form of composting is sort of domestic composting, which again, I would argue, it's not, it's not really even an argument. It's just less scientific than, again, what we are trying to do. There weren't that many people who could advise. We launched in Washington State, which was a regulatory-driven decision. Mm. But actually, Washington is probably at the forefront of composting in the US. For whatever reason, there are a couple of companies there. There's some good local knowledge. So it ended up being a really good place to develop the science. The other interesting thing about Washington is you have a ton of really impressive engineering organizations. You've got Boeing, you've got Amazon, yeah. you've got Blue Origin, you've got a lot of really good engineering talent. So actually as an R&D location, Seattle was pretty perfect because it combined soil science with mechanical engineering and controls engineering. So it's understanding the science, what are the levers to make this as nice a process, but also as quick a process, also as efficient a process mm. as possible in terms of inputs and outputs from a, a sustainability perspective. We then had to understand how you did that in terms of designing a vessel. So the process takes place in a vessel. Yep. The body goes on a layer of organic mulch and wood chip. That is creating the balance of carbon and nitrogen. The body then remains in this vessel for a 30 to 45 day process, during which it's broken down at a molecular mm. level. And you need different moisture levels for different stages of the process, different aeration levels, different temperatures. And that's what the vessel and control system does. And making this as automated as possible. You can do this quite manually, but this, if it's going to have impact, has to be scalable. So we've built everything with scale in mind. How do we produce these vessels effectively, quickly and cost effectively mm. at scale? How do we make this as automated a process as possible? Our goal is to be able to make this a mainstream option in the US because we believe the demand is there. Scaling the, su the supply is going to be the long-term challenge. And the vessels, are they basically like sarcophagi? They're made from stainless steel. Okay. Incredibly durable. We don't know how long one's going to last because we haven't operated them for yeah. more than a year. But the core of the vessel is stainless steel. We think they have 10, 15, 20 years of life in them. Wow. And you can do a process a month through a vessel. And so it's basically a rectangle big enough to fit a body. And then you, there are various, I would guess, breaches where you can inject the right microbes or the right moisture, the right gases, whatever it may be, to basically catalyze the microbial breakdown of this organic matter. Yeah. What's interesting is we're not introducing any microbes to this, really. The microbes come from our body. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's the naturally occurring microbes. We're just helping them bloom and cultivate. 
it's a purely natural process. We're just accelerating it. It's the exact same thing that would happen on the forest floor if you were left in the leaves yeah. and mulch. We're just accelerating that as a process. Got you. That breaks down bone as well? So at the end of the process, you're left with bone and soil. And then we use the exact same technique as cremation, as alkaline hydrolysis, which is another environmentally friendly funeral option to reduce the bone to a finer powder. And then that gets reincorporated with the soil. Bone absolutely is biodegradable. It just takes a hell of a long time. Yeah. So we reduce it to a fine powder and that's, uh, that's still in the final end product that's getting returned to families and returned to nature. And alkaline hydrolysis, is that like acid or something to basically break down the bone? Yeah. So um, it's extremely alkaline solution and it's heated up to probably like three, 350 degrees combined with that extreme alkali solution and uses quite a lot of water. It's about 1,500 liters of water as well. So Got you. It's sometimes called water cremation. So it's basically boiling the bones to dust. No, so they call it cremulator in the industry yeah. and it reduces cremated remains to what we know as like ash. Yeah. And that is bone that has been reduced to a fine powder. So all three processes follow a pretty, pretty similar process. Got you. So you have this bone, which has been reduced to dust or ash. You've got the organic kind of basically skin, muscle, fat, etc. All the organic mushy bits of the body reduced to soil. Is it actually soil or is it like fertilizer? It's compost. Compost being nutrient-rich soil effectively. Right, right. And we, we test this stuff. This is a regulated industry. So we're, we're testing for stability. We're testing for maturity. This is actually much higher quality compost than you get out of your municipal composting sites. Mm. Because again, we're able to apply the perfect moisture, the perfect aeration, the perfect temperature throughout. Mm. This is a much more dialed in and scientific process than just about any other composting that is occurring out there. I think we are actually incredibly at the forefront of in-vessel. Yeah. So taking place in something, composting, than anyone else in the world actually at this point. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. 
That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. And just in terms of that composting bit, is there temperature involved? Like, do you raise the temperature to speed this along? The microbes produce temperature as part of the process. So as they do their job, they consume oxygen and they produce heat. So the definition of composting in many ways, from a regulatory sense at least, is hitting 131 degrees Fahrenheit for 72 consecutive hours. And that is happening naturally. Gotcha. Um, so the process, if done well, it's obviously how we're doing it, generates heat naturally. So I have a weird question from which I, <laughs> which I draw from my previous experience. I've actually been... In the UK, I covered a whole bunch of stuff, including the utilities, and I've been at like these big composting facilities, and they said one of the issues that they have is as stuff break down, breaks down, as you say, it naturally releases heat, it gets hot, and they would get these like spontaneous fires, like in the ground, because all the stuff is kind of like just breaking down and it ignites, and then they have to, you know, figure that out. Do you have to deal with that? Or like, how do you deal with that? We don't have that. I mean, we have much more control over this process. It sounds like you've seen these sites yeah. and you've literally got sort of huge piles, which you have very minimal control yeah. over. We have a contained vessel, which is maybe 40 cubic feet, yeah. um, something like that. So we have way more control over the conditions. So not a problem that we faced. Got you. How long did it take you guys to figure this out? And I guess the other question is, you launch, I presume, as a brand, I would guess you'd have to inform people like, look, we're still testing this. Or, you know, like, how do you test it? By the time we'd launched, we were pretty tested. I don't think this is a Silicon Valley case yeah. of make it up as you go along. <laughs> uh, that's just wrong yeah. with what we're doing. So we were very tested by the time we launched. And we were testing on pigs. I see. And then see. we had done human trials as well before we launched. So by the time we launched, we knew what we were doing. This was about 18 months of R&D before launch, including opening a facility. So we opened a 17,000 square foot facility just south of Seattle. Wow. has room for 78 vessels at the moment. We will increase that over time as well. But yeah, it's been a lot of consumer awareness as a concept. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When people hear about it, they really do resonate with it. It's doing the rounds appropriately in the UK at the moment as well. The Church of England's looking at this as a potential option. Mm. The Queen's Undertaker, I think he was described in the Times actually this week, has been talking about it as well. So I would expect to see this in the UK in the not too distant future also. I think it's going to be a bit of a global movement actually towards more environmental death care options, mm. but also ones that are natural and not sort of highly chemically driven because putting mum in a bath of very alkali solution is actually not that appealing to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, totally. And on the environmental piece, and I totally understand, and I think I agree, it's like you'll have your early adopters who are like, I'm mega green, I want to like have a negative CO2 footprint over the course of my life, if at all possible, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But most people just kind of resonate with just this is a better process. But do you have or will you have some kind of third-party certification of that this is a quote-unquote green way to go, like a fair trade or some other kind of label that you'd be like, look, this is actually environmentally friendly? I think so. We 
are still investing a lot of time and energy and, and money yeah. into R&D. And everything we're doing is working towards making this more and more environmentally friendly as a process and making a lot of headway there. And we would love to get that sort of authenticated by a third party at some point because we're proud of what we're doing. And we're actually trying to make this carbon positive where we're actually extracting carbon from the environment. Mm. We are also buying land. So families choose how much soil they'd like. There's a reasonable amount of soil produced at the end of this process. So we have a piece of land on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington. I'm not sure if you spent any time up there, but a really beautiful part of Washington state, surrounded by mountains, surrounded by trees. And we have a piece of damaged land, which has been historically logs. It's been sort of overgrown with invasive species and we're reforesting that. And this is a big part of what we're doing as a business as well, as we expand across the US. So you're reforesting that land with people, so to speak. Yeah, so you are literally becoming a tree. Your final resting place is one of enduring, timeless beauty, if you will. And you are actively restoring and protecting land for future generations. So I think that's the other really cool part of what we're doing. It's a nice, natural, gentle mm. process. It's net carbon neutral. And you're being returned to nature to protect and restore this land for future generations. So I think that's the really neat part. And again, we're finding really iconic parts in the states that we're operating in because it resonates with people. Right, right. How much soil does a body generate? I'm thinking of like, you know, we have um, raised beds in my backyard. And well, every year, a certain amount of it escapes or kind of gets washed away. So we have to like get a big bag, you know, like a whatever. A big bag of soil to replenish. Is it like that? Yep. Basically? If it's the size I'm thinking of, it's about half that. So it's a couple of wheelbarrows full. So it's too much just to keep in your house or apartment somewhere. But it's not a huge amount. Got you. But yeah, it's too much for most people, which is why we provide this nice way to donate the soil to a, a, a conservation project. Have you raised money for this? Or are you just doing this with the money you made from the last thing? Or... How's that work? We've raised money. This has been expensive to get off the ground. Been a lot of R&D, opening a 17,000 square foot facility with stainless steel vessels is not cheap. Mm. So we have raised $10 million in disclosed funding at this point, and we'll continue to raise to expand. And yeah, the goal is to take this across the US over the next uh, five years or so. The market demand is there. We see this. Yeah. One of the interesting parts of this business is the process is new. So you're having to get this legalized in each state in which you want to operate. So there's a lot of public policy mm. and legislative momentum at the moment. It starts in Washington in 2019. This is how quick it's all been moving, actually. It first legalized in 2019. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but it doesn't seem like it should be that contentious to have this, have this be legally possible. I think that's why there's good momentum. It's not a politically controversial issue. Yeah. You do need to get it approved. So you have to go down the, the formal pathways, but it's not, it's not controversial. So it's now legal in places like California. It's now legal in New York, Oregon, Colorado. Illinois has a bill at the moment. Massachusetts has a bill. All the big states are quickly catching on. Texas? Texas, I think, watch this space is what I'd say. I think Texas will get there quite soon. And what about the UK? 
I'm not as up to speed with UK yeah. regulation. Um, the UK is slightly different. I think it's it's something like the Ministry of Defence that regulates this stuff, <laughs> which is very strange. as like the funeral regulator, <laughs> but they regulate uh, methods of disposition in the US. Right, so right, um, right. I think it has to be. I may be making this up, which if I am, it's just going to seem absurd. But uh, <laughs> but I, I think it's the Ministry of Defence. So I think it will get approved. Yeah. So I just don't think it's as overnight a process. Got you. And the UK is much more all or nothing as well. Like it's either legal or it's not. Whereas the US, every single state has different yeah. um, laws. So you can get it approved in parts and then work on other parts thereafter. So you started this in 2020, which is months after it was legalized in the first state in America. How was that fundraising process? And I don't know if you can disclose who your investors are, but just wondering how that process was. Was it difficult? Yeah, I would say difficult. You're raising for a concept that is slightly out there yeah. and has no consumer traction. Like there was no proof that anyone would buy this, which as an investor is a pretty big risk point. There was then having to develop hardware. I mean, hardware as a vertical in itself is pretty challenging. You then add the word funeral in front of hardware and it becomes <laughs> a pretty, pretty unsexy proposition for most VCs out there. And then there's an infrastructure side of what we're doing. We are opening and operating facilities. So the combination of sort of funeral plus hardware plus infrastructure makes it pretty hard uh, fundraise. We've been lucky. We've got some great investors. They've been very supportive. They're very bullish for the future. They share our sort of excitement mm. for what we're doing. Did you ever think you wouldn't be able to raise the money? I wouldn't go that far because you raise in tranches. I feel like there are different ways to fundraise. You can do big, glamorous funding round all at one time, or you can be really scrappy, which is enough money to like last three months and raise more yeah. money to last another six months. And to get something off the ground, I think sometimes you have to be scrappy. We're in a very stable financial position now, but the early days were scrappy for sure. Right. But again, as you prove consumer demand, as you prove a, an ability to execute both on hardware, both on opening facilities we're building a hell of a lot of consumer mm. software and software generally as well which because we have a new concept doesn't really get spoken about we're also incredibly focused on building amazing consumer experiences so making it as easy as possible to make and manage arrangements arrangements today are still really difficult in the u.s it's a complicated process 70 yeah. percent of people are doing this for the first time it takes place in these really traditional funeral home settings which a lot of people don't really want anymore. It's very opaque in terms of pricing. There are 19,000 funeral homes out there. 86% of them are independently owned. So quite an inconsistent experience. So we are trying to not just build a more sustainable offering. We're trying to build a really trustworthy brand behind it and underpin that with exceptional care. And a lot of the exceptional care is driven through software. It makes it very easy to make arrangements makes it very easy to track arrangements, to send obituaries to family and friends, to collaborate with family members on the paperwork you need to sign, mm. all your arrangement history in, that, in, in one place, that sort of thing. So we're doing a lot of different stuff, but the, the, the two themes are the most sustainable way to look after a loved one and making it as easy as possible to make and manage these arrangements. So it sounds like you're trying to effectively kind of appify as much of this as possible. Yeah, I think that's what people want. It's very obvious on the surface. 
two major trends, making traditional industry green or products and services sustainable and the digitization of traditional industry. And I think we are leading the way in both of those areas. Can you say how many people have used this, your service so far? And also how much pushback have you got around just the time? You know, because obviously somebody passing, that's a very dramatic, often very terrible experience for the loved ones. And then you're like, okay, we're going to do this process, but it's going to take a month or 45 days for you to then be able to have some kind of closure or however you want to kind of do that. That feels like a challenge. Regarding people, how many people, I'm not going to give you an exact number, but it's many, many hundreds at this point. And in terms of pushback regarding time, cremation as a process takes one, two, three hours. But actually, there's a lot of stuff that happens before the cremation. You've got to register the death. You've got to wait for space at the crematory. You've got the cremation itself. You've got to wait for the ashes to be returned. So actually, while the process is only like two, three hours, the end-to-end process is probably like two to three weeks. So actually, we're not running that much slower. Mm. The other thing I'd say is almost reframing how you think about this. People like that it's slow because it's a gentle, natural process. Right. Versus being cremated at 1500 degrees Fahrenheit, which is actually quite a an extreme process, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I actually think the slowness of the process is appealing to a lot of people. Right. Do you have competition <laughs> right now? I mean, there are other people doing it. <laughs> it does feel like what you're doing, it kind of is crystallized in a few different, like larger secular shifts in what people want or expect generally. But just wondering kind of how that looks from like a business perspective. And also it does feel like, and I don't know if this is what you're trying to do, like create like a real, like a, you know, maybe the world's first death brand. And so you become like the kind of whatever, you know, the Coca-Cola of human composting. Sorry, I keep using that, but it's just very catchy. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's what I was saying. Yeah. So answer the question, there are a couple of competitors. Everyone has a slightly different approach. We are very tech focused in terms of the actual process itself, but also the consumer experience and also building software that underpins everything. So all everything we do is ultimately digitized. The facilities run off software. All our internal workflows are uh, internally developed, that sort of thing. And what we're doing there is building something that's scalable. Because as I say, this is only impactful if you can do it at scale. Mm. If you have 20 vessels and that's what you can manage, who cares? Yeah, It doesn't have any great impact on the world and uh, the sort of environmental crisis, if you will. Then the other thing we're doing is trying to build a really trustworthy brand around this. I think this is quite conducive to a cottage industry. Yes. But actually, I think it has much more mainstream appeal than that. And I think we will become the professional brand in the space. Very dignified, very high quality, scalable across the country. How's recruiting? Easier than cremation, actually, I would say. Mm. Cremation is not very innovative. Whereas actually this is building something completely new from scratch, whether that's a brand, whether that's software, whether that's hardware, whether that's opening facilities that have never existed before. There's a lot of really just interesting intellectual figuring out to be done, which I think appeals to people's curiosity. 
And lastly, I know we covered this a little bit last time you were on the pod, but just for those who didn't hear that, how'd you get into the death business to begin with? Because this, um, you know, this is, as you say, uh-huh. this is company three. So this is uh, that's definitely a trend. <laughs> there is a trend, yeah. I fell into it. I did not plan to go into this. I, was, I studied French at university, which uh, has been thoroughly <laughs> useless to everything I've done since. But um, yeah, I had a grandparent die. I went to this funeral, there were several hundred people there. Most of them had found out about it in a newspaper. Yeah. That struck me as a pretty crazy way to inform people of anything, actually. Hey, um, hey, so hey, 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 <laughs> hey. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm talking to the wrong audience here. But um, it's, it's not the most efficient way to inform people of something. It relies on people reading the paper at any given time. It's uh, reactive versus uh, like proactive. Yes. And so we built a really efficient way to inform family members of these arrangements. And then I have never been able to get out of this industry since because there's just so much to do. So much to digitize, so much to make better. And it's an interesting space where you can do well mm. and you can do good. You're helping people ultimately at one of the worst times of their life. I think we covered this before, but I just think it's so interesting that this is one of those industries that nobody really wants to touch. And that is just yeah. kind of stuck because it's just morbid. People don't want to kind of mess with it. And, and so it ends up being, as you say, this kind of cottage industry where people are getting charged through the nose and they just like say yes because they just don't want to deal with it and it's just it feels like it's just sitting there but it's not something most people would kind of think to take on i think if you scratch the name off the top of a a paper if you will and put it in front of a business school class it is the most perfect industry to disrupt Mm. but because it's the funeral industry people don't do it and that's the combination i and it's not necessarily unwarranted. Like it is a it is a taxing industry. It's emotionally taxing. You're working with bodies, which um, again is not that appealing for a lot of people. So it's overlooked for understandable reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So what what comes next for you? You guys have this one facility, seventy eight vessels in the facility. You're talking about scale. That's a lot of steel in the ground. That's a lot of steel vessels. So what's the plan? Yeah, without giving uh, too much away <laughs> in terms of specifics, we will be expanding across the country over the next five years or so, opening facilities, making this available to anyone who wants it. And again, we think that's a lot of people. So combination of scaling our geographic footprint, a number of vessels we have, and then educating people, mm. shouting far and wide about the existence of soil transformation as a concept and Earth as a trustworthy brand within the space. I keep saying lastly, but this is really last. Is there a takeaway or a lesson from your last company? Because you sold it and you said it kind of things changed pretty quickly and then you left. And I don't know if there's something that you took from that where you're like, oh, okay, that was a lesson hard, hard learned or otherwise that you've taken with you. Yeah, I think everything we did really well at Tulip, we're doing again. Everything that we did less well, we're doing better. Mm. And then I think the big learning from Tulip was just be careful who you do business with. So I am, as a founder, much more aware of that now as well. Right. So you can make different mistakes, but not the same mistakes is is how I like to think about it. You're always going to make mistakes, but just don't make the same ones again. And uh, so far, I have managed to avoid the same mistakes. So far, so good. Well, look, thank you for taking the time. It's totally fascinating. And um, is it earth.com? Earth Funeral 
earth.com and that's funeral singular i was gonna say earth.com would probably cost like 10 million dollars or something quite literally i tried to buy it i was quoted 13 million dollars 13 one three yeah well i figure if you've if you scale up but by that point you'll be known and then they're gonna be like no it's this price has gone up to 50 million if you see see us with earth.com you, you know we're doing well because <laughs> a few years and that was all the time we have. I want to thank Tom for coming back on Danny in the Valley. Love having past guests back on to kind of catch up with them, see what they're doing next. I want to thank you guys all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, for telling your friends and neighbors, for spreading word the word about the pod. Always helps. So please keep doing that. And if you haven't, take a moment. Write a rating. Give a review. It really, really helps. I would really appreciate it. And that is it. I'll be writing about what Tom is up to in the Sunday Times, as well as probably AI, because that's the only thing going right now. So do pick up the paper or go to thetimes.co.uk to check that out. You can find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson. You can email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. And that is all I have this week. So take it easy, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.